0: True Detective
1: Or aka Smoldering Look Podcast
0: <laughs> What's that from?
1: There's a lot of smoldering looks in True Detective <laughs> Okay Right?
0: Couldn't that, that sure. Could be? Sure,
1: yeah, 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 sure I'm trying to give you mine, you should have just looked at me and known what I was doing
0: Oh, okay Well, and, and I know this is how we started off our Leftovers podcast and I got in trouble for it But the Fake clever names i listed off in our preview episode they're all now real podcasts yes they are just pointing that out Uh, but the name of our podcast is everything i'm not making a value judgment on those names whatsoever Uh, and if you want to know what i'm talking about go back and listen to that preview episode there's no uh ill intent uh aimed towards any of those podcasts this is everything true detective my name is justin blizzard i um, here with Keith Krepko, and we're going to talk about Season 2 of True Detective. Uh, it's going to be a weekly podcast. We will be out every Monday night slash Tuesday morning. And if you are familiar at all with our Leftovers podcast, it's going to follow a pretty similar format. So, all spoilers for everything that's been released so far. Or everything we've seen, at least. Um, did you watch the next time I on? I did. Did you? I did. I don't know if I They're watched They're calling it the sneak the- peek now. The sneak oh, okay. peek at next week. No, I didn't. Um, part, of, part of that was because we watched the uh, show late. And as soon as the credits rolled, I had to start ballers. <laughs> I just oh had yeah! To get right into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, that's what you needed. <laughs> so let's talk about the first episode. Uh, before we do, I do. I wanted to say quickly that we are both well aware that this is the first episode, and so pretty much anything we say about it could be taken as like a overreaction. But we are well aware that there are seven episodes left. And these are just our thoughts about the first one. I just wanted to clarify that because every single time I have a criticism of something that's like this early on, there's always a part of me that it says like there's so many, there's still so much left. Like you don't know if this is going to play out that way. Um, so in order to get into this first season, let's talk about we had some concerns coming into this season based on not really the first season, but based on Nick Pizzolato.
1: Everything that happened in between seasons.
0: Sure, yeah. So what are your feelings on the first episode as a whole? Just sort of your general feelings. And how has, how has the first episode affected your um, concerns coming into it? Have they reinforced it? Are you feeling maybe somewhat better? Are you wanting to give it more time? So on.
1: Lest we be, you know, accused of having a bias. I want to say that I really did going into this season and I I do, I want to be good. I really, really, really do want to be good. And I'm not going in there with a bias. And I remember, you know, there's a, Twitter exchange with Mark Harris who's a a author and cultural critic and Alan Sepinwall where um, Mark Harris was like I feel like all this backlash season two has a weird kind of negative Nick Pizzolatto Mm -hmm. tone and then Alan Sepinwall just tweeted back he was like nope it's just terrible (laughs) (laughs) and you know I think that is you know so there is an opportunity for somebody to just hate this show and not mm-hmm. have something against Nick Pizzolatto. Mm-hmm. Um, So kind of clearing my mind from everything and all the concerns we talked about in the preview episode, I, I kind of liked this episode. Oh, it, really? Yeah. It was not, it has its moments of mm-hmm. just kind of like, Forehead slapping. Total boneheadedness. Yes. (laughs) And we'll talk about those. But overall, for what what we got in season one, Uh what I anticipated we were going to get in season two, based on the trailers and everything, there's a lot of portent, a lot of Mm self-seriousness, a whole lot. Um, But there are moments... Of um, intrigue, mm-hmm. and for as blatant and obvious as these characters are, I'm I'm still looking forward to next week's episode. Mm-hmm. I definitely had my issues, and we will get there. Okay, but it was not like an utter train wreck. I wasn't seeing right. them being like, yeah, you know, I wasn't just like, you know, kind of harumphing. To myself throughout. Mm -hmm. But uh,
0: what's your feeling? Uh, I am probably a little more down on it than you are, but I came away with the same conclusion, I feel like, where I am still somewhat excited and intrigued to see the second episode. Some of that comes from the fact that I feel like this first episode does as little as it possibly could in terms of story development. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see where the actual story of the season goes um, outside of the five seconds of it you get at the end of the episode. But I'm, I have definitely, it it's, it's, it's basically exactly what I expected it to be. And it's all of all of my concern. I feel like all of my concerns about Nick Pizzolato and about the time crunch that he's under and about the answering all of his critics is pretty much there in the first episode. And like I said, it's the first episode, so I'm not going to I'm going to try not to overreact. Um, but if it continues along that path. I think we're in for some trouble. But I think if you, if if maybe if he's looking at it as like, you know what, I'm going to take this first episode to basically say F you to all of these people, to all of my critics, uh, and then at the very end we'll get the story going, and then the rest of the episodes are like, now we're going to get into it. You know what I mean? All right, I'll give you that. But if it's going to continue down this path of... You know, uh, we'll get into it a little bit later. But of what I feel like is basically of uh, answering his critics,
1: that that is never a good artistic move, right? And
0: I, like. I I read something. I think it was on. I can't remember what it was on now. Ta- it was Todd. Ta- it maybe it was just Vox. Um, Todd Vanderworf wrote this, I believe. No, it it was from somewhere else. It was something else I read. But they basically said, um, oh, it was called like the corridor or something. It's it's the whatever the Kotaku
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. media
0: hub is. It's their like media site or whatever. And they basically said, what you can take away from this episode from this episode is that this season of True Detective, um, it's either going to be good or it's going to be so bad that it's good to watch, but it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be lifeless. You're either going to get the good things you got from the first season, or you're going to get (laughs) such like a bad meathead version of a show that is going to be good. That's going to be fun to watch.
1: I am a hundred percent on board with that. Cause that's, that's honestly kind of, the, kind of the feeling that I had with this first episode as I went through. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, I want to clarify, too, on the it never works out as an artistic move. Mm-hmm. Now, Dante wrote The Inferno and actually put critics right. in right. his circles of hell. And that works brilliantly. Right. <laughs> but you got to be doing The Inferno, right. you know? And and I feel like Pizzolatto... Is maybe more on the Shyamalan level of right. uh, critic response right. in his artistic work.
0: Yeah. Okay, so what did you think of the uh, opening credit sequence and the song? Because there's been a lot of discussion mm-hmm. about the song.
1: My my wife hated the song. Yeah, she was asking me. Now, I love, you, you You know, did you research, like, who it was? That's it's a Leonard Cohen song. Yeah, it's... It, I don't like Leonard see, Cohen. See, I love Leonard Cohen. Uh-huh. I love Leonard Cohen. So, even as, now, I'm somebody who doesn't, I don't really like Tom Waits. And I feel like Tom Waits, who's in a similar vein, like, mm-hmm. I felt like listening to that, you're like, is this Tom Waits? That feels a little more like a construct. Mm-hmm. I know Leonard Cohen is, too. But Leonard Cohen... Has an authenticity, I think, to his lyrics that pull me through usually. So I don't really care for like the deep
0: vocal delivery. Mm-hmm. I can't make my voice deep, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll still try. Maybe she's got Bob Dylan to do it. Get a Bob Dylan song.
1: Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. I'm Again, I'm watching it and I'm like, all right, this is the level that we're operating at. And yeah. I think Nick Pizzolato dreams of being Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Like that kind of... A lot of his imagery is dark, you know. Leonard
0: Cohen can can Cohen seems like such a dork to me, though.
1: Well, you don't like his music, so you, but no, I mean, his I music guess. is is can be really dark and and descriptive, very descriptive. Yeah, I feel like, of course, Nick Pizzolato, It's like the like the artist meathead.
0: Well, I think that's where the where the song misses, though. Is I, now I like the sound of the song. I like uh-huh. the atmosphere of it for the. Opening title sequence, but the lyrics, which is something else that will happen later on in the show with a song, the lyrics are so on the nose, on point that it just is like, you know what I mean? It just—it's too obvious. It's too much. That's what bothered me about the song. So I mean, I like the opening sequence.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I like the I like the visual images. I, I I like that juxtaposition. I thought it was interesting too. And again, part of this is is always going to be in the back of my mind and we may not want to address it too much on the podcast how much of this is a response or reaction of pizzolato against critics of the first season right so if you watch the opening credits of the first season there's a whole lot of religious and sexual imagery Mm -hmm. these credits credits is there sexual imagery i don't
0: i don't think so i don't feel
1: like there is at all and there is like pretty explicit it's not you know but it's Naked women on the opening. I Again, I wonder, I can't help but wonder if those opening credits are also like, uh, let's tone down the right. female nudity and let's, let's just make this brooding, not because of an artistic decision, but because people are saying, I'm a misogynist. Right.
0: Well, I, th- I would say that 99% of this first episode is addressed at critics. Um so you so would you agree that the lack of sexual imagery in this yes, absolutely. could be a response absolutely. to critics? Like Not it? only that, the majority of the sexual imagery in the first episode is muted is, is, is no, It's men. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You see yeah. men's butts, you see um, what's his name? Taylor Kitch's uh, boner, basically.
1: Yeah, kind of, and and I, and the reason why I said mute too is because when she busts in the the camcorder place, right? Like the women quickly mm-hmm. cover up too. Yeah. Like it's not there, there's a great chance with uh, HBO to be like, yeah, let's get them in there. You know.
0: Um, okay, so we're we're not going to go through the episode scene by scene or beat by beat because the it focuses basically on the it 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 spends the majority of its time introducing these four characters. There's not a whole lot of story to get into yet. So I wanted to just sort of go through and talk about these four characters. But before we do that, there was um, you had put something down in the notes (laughs) that I thought was interesting. And I'm not sure um, there is some time hopping in the episode, but I'm not sure the only Scene I can think of that goes back into the past is the Colin Farrell scene. Right. And that also says a little bit about the episode. Like I thought the first episode in terms of story was so confusing and convoluted that after it was over, it took someone's Reddit post for me to really understand (laughs) what had happened in terms of like what was being set up story wise and what pieces were being put into place. Right. But are there other um, out of sequence scenes in the episode besides Colin Farrell's when he's very clearly walking into a meet the devil because he walks into a room that's all red, like he's consumed in red? Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there's that scene. But I think I was making a reference in the notes, not only to other scenes that involve flashback. But there were other moments that, after that happened, where it just be a character's face, I was like, "Are we in the past now right. or are we in the- like I was now anticipating, mm-hmm. and it always took me a a second to get my bearings to be like, oh no we're 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 still in the current day, yeah, so I think that was something where other than than moments of going back in time that that is it as much as I can, okay. I can remember as well, but it also made me think throughout the episode, did they jump back in time and I didn't pick up on it or, or is this something that they're going to continue where, you know, that scene was necessary in showing setting up their, their relationships. And now I can flash forward and kind of extrapolate, you know, everything that happened to, um, you know, to, uh, Oh my gosh, my mind went blank. What's his name?
0: Colin, Colin Farrell, Farrell, Ray, Ray. Mm-hmm.
1: What what happened to Ray's character since then? Right? right, he obviously that moment sold his soul, so to speak, and now he's this twisted, vile, alcohol you know alcoholic um, rage maniac, right? And so you know that that is clearly there to establish that. But are they going to like? Would you want to flashback next episode? Like. Here's how Taylor Kitsch got his scars. And kind of do that. At least every, every character gets I mean, a flashback. There's so
0: little Taylor Kitsch in this episode. I feel like any information on him would be welcomed, regardless of the format. You know what I mean? But as long as it's clear, as long as I understand that this is in the past,
1: because I feel like the plot is confusing enough, right? That jumping timeline, and if you make that a recurrent theme,
0: yeah, that's true. You've yeah. got four main characters here. You kind of need to buckle down and just shoot me straight,
1: right? And and I like the I like the idea of like you know Colin Farrell's timeline based on his mustache. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm trying to think now on every other character, like. Is Taylor Kitsch, I'll know, because he constantly has a boner without Viagra. Like, oh, this is when he always had boners, you know, or, you know, whatever else. I mean, yeah. I just I just don't know how you would tell every basically everyone else doesn't have a mustache. that's so yeah. easily.
0: OK, well, let's talk about Colin Farrell. He plays Ray, who is at this point uh, in the show, a corrupt cop who's taking money from Vince Vaughn to do various things. Uh, my understanding of it, and I'm not sure how much of this is meant to be like, a. I feel like there's no possible way this could be set up as like a, a payoff later on or a mystery, but like the idea that that's not his son, like that's obviously not his son. Right. Yeah. It's not supposed to be like, is it his son? Is it not? Right? You get the same feeling? Oh, yeah, no, it's it's not his son. Okay. So his wife was raped. Um, and then nine months later had this boy that he has limited custody over. Um he has paid Vince Vaughn? Or he's just working for Vince Vaughn and part of working. Is Vince Vaughn is now trying to find this guy, right? No, no. I, I took it as Vince Vaughn,
1: who's a crook, right? Uh-huh. It's starring a mob, trying to be in the mob, or mm-hmm. a small local version of it. Um, hears about this violent act. Maybe is more involved than we know, oh, but okay. hears about this violent act uh, perpetrated on this you know, cop's family, And sees now an opening. If I give this guy the perpetrator's information, he is now, he will then feel compelled. So that's why when Colin Farrell goes to pick up the folder of information, he's like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And Vince Vaughn's like, nothing. He's like, maybe we'll talk. Maybe we won't. Right? So he's using all that as leverage, which now we know he did ask him to do some stuff. Um, but yeah, at that time, I think he was just making the most of an opportunity that presented itself. So again, mm-hmm. either he had kind of spotted Farrell before and instituted this attack, or orchestrated it, or he's just seeing here's an opportunity to get a get a cop of my payroll.
0: Right. So what did you think of Colin Farrell? What did you think of his acting? What did you think of his character?
1: Um, I you know I thought it was it was. Over the top, Mm -hmm. the character though is over the top. Mm -hmm. So with this idea going back to you know the article you referenced earlier, it's not boring, you know. (laughs) And and I'm going to, you know, be kind of kept engaged by his performance. I didn't think it was hammy, you know. Like I mean, he pulled off a valid threat. You know, and there's a scene where he is confronting his son. We're gonna bring out one specific <laughs> right. line. That I think it's really funny. Um, but yeah, I think I think he I think he's adequately unhinged.
0: All right, it kind of doesn't work for me. Look, look, I, I it's don't know no, why. it's no.
1: Rust Cole, right. right? Matthew McConaughey's interpretation of Rust Cole, right. is going down as one of the greatest fictional characters. Ever. Like, he is great. Mm-hmm. He is, like, unhinged and weird and funny.
0: And, you
1: know, his his interplay with his co-star, too,
0: is great. Right. Yeah. And I'm not trying to compare him to Russ Cole. I'm trying not to. But something that I was listening to another True Detective podcast today called, I think, I believe it's called True Detective Weekly. Um, And they made a really good point about how Rust Cole was somewhat unhinged, but he still like had all the answers and he was still a very competent, uh, but more than competent, a great detective, a great Mm -hmm, cop. mm -hmm. Whereas all of the characters in this episode so far, at least in this first episode, um. Uh, none of them have the answers. So Colin Farrell is like, f- seems to be pretty incompetent with no answers. Whereas Rachel McAdams seems to be fairly competent, but she also doesn't have any answers. Well, she
1: was involved on a on a wrong bust starting off. Right, like exactly. Carol-
0: um, so I thought that was an interesting dynamic. As much going into it, as I was concerned about having four Rust Coles, I think they do in terms of the darkness level, but in terms of like their competency in their jobs, they don't. They seem to be four fairly incompetent people outside of, like I said, um, Taylor kitsch. You just don't know much about him.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare too much, but the other thing with Rust Cole is that you see a man who has kind of um, morphed right from, (laughs) This right. earlier version of a hyper competent, you know, police officer to this kind of long haired, beer guzzling, chain smoking, you know, um, a near homeless man, you right. know, looking. Uh, and you are intrigued by what what took him from here to here. Yeah. For Ray, specifically, if we're holding on to Ray. We kind of know what it was, and we never really got to see him as competent, you know? And all the other characters, like you said, Taylor Kitsch, as competent as you maybe want, because he seems like he's on the straight and narrow in mm-hmm. terms of being a police officer, he is really broken, fractured already. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not getting that juxtaposition. You're just saying, how are all these people broken?
0: Yeah. Um. So, the first person to get beat up in the episode is a reporter. So do you find that do you think that is commentary on <laughs> critics? <laughs> like literally the first person that gets beat up in the entire episode is a reporter
1: um that's that's funny i that honestly that didn't didn't stand out to me, but taking your point of view,
0: I could see how how it could yeah. And here's the other thing about that. Reporters don't do, like, an investigative piece one article at a time, right? Like, this reporter wasn't like, hey, I got this little bit of information. I'm going to publish it and then trying to continue my story after publishing this information I had. This The story that he's getting beat up for is done. (laughs) Like... He's not Colin Farrell's not stopping him from doing anything. That story is published, right? And the parts that aren't published are just sitting with the newspaper who whatever and are publishing in the next day.
1: They've been they've been edited already. Right? Like, going he's to a little
0: late to the party. If he wanted to, if anything, it would have been like, "Hey, this guy's asking too many questions. Go beat him up." Not like, "Hey, this guy's already published this story. Go get him to stop writing more."
1: Well, I guess, and it was funny how that was. Conveyed where, yeah. All of a sudden, they're like, "Look at this article," and it's like, "Wait, you guys are like the preeminent crime mm-hmm. family in this area, and you didn't notice somebody poking around right. too too much?" Like, how do you let it go from zero to six, you know, zero to printed? Right. Um, that seemed a lot with it without having any any
0: notion that a reporter was at all interested in yeah. In digging and the other thing stuff. that I found weird about that is. I would have taken not being in that thing as a compliment. You know what I mean? Like this reporter is apparently doing this super investigative thing and he doesn't come up with anything on me. Great. Like I'm just going to keep staying out of it then. You know what I mean? I'm not going to then like put my toe in the water and be like, I got to shut this guy up. He's not saying anything about me. Right, right. They're missing the scene where Vince Vaughn goes in
1: person and says, hey, (laughs) stop writing about that. You know, it's like, who are you? I'm nobody <laughs> <laughs> right. don't don't investigate me
0: <laughs> um, and that scene too for me it 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 I think it epitomizes this idea that this show is only like a hair's breadth away of going so terribly because it's like you have this scene, this incredibly dark scene, this scene that's already dark by nature, right you have this corrupt cop who's an alcoholic he's unhinged and he's lacking self-control is then showing up uh, to break into somebody's apartment to beat the crap out of them for trying to report on corruption in their city right like you have this scene that's already incredibly dark but apparently it's not dark enough for Nick Pizzolato because before Colin Farrell walks into the apartment he has to tell a crack addict who's shooting up in the street not to say anything. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's unnecessary. Like one step too far there, buddy. You okay, know? Can,
1: can we, can we morph? I, I check this with you. Can we morph into my game? Sure. That, that, that I thought of. So the game is called too gratuitous, not <laughs> gratuitous enough uh-huh. or just right. And if we're looking at Ray, I don't want to take that situation. I want to take the situation where after confronting his son, uh-huh. actually on the way to getting to to the game, do you want to talk about your line? Or do you want to address that later on?
0: Oh, right. So before he gets to the son, he can before he gets to Aspen, he <laughs> he's like yelling at his son about. The Le- LeBrons that were take so the and then I guess the stepdad is who that guy is. He's right. like they took the sneakers out of his locker. <laughs> and Colin Farrell's response is and what shit in him? <laughs> like, that's what? the first thing his mind goes yeah. to. Like <laughs> that's what I would have. done right. Give me more of the backstory of Ray where he's. <laughs> His reaction to shoes being stolen is that people are shedding in them. <laughs> what kind of police work is that? Right. You know, uh,
1: what's missing in this crime scene? Well, uh, some jewelry, a pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah, they probably shit them already. <laughs> we need to we need to write that one off. Don't look for the shoes. I know what happened to those. Um,
0: yeah, this is such a weird reaction. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's
1: and. I want to go back and see. I think the stepfather's reaction, too, is like, he's like, no, Ray. They cut him up. (laughs) Like, he's like (laughs) kind of disgusted and horrified. He's like, no, they're kids. They cut the shoes up, you idiot.
0: Um, Um, So after that, he goes to Aspen's house. The bully. The bully. uh, And he's talking to his dad. And he has the dad bring the son out, I guess. Yeah, he's like, I'm a police officer. I'm here right. about I stolen talk property. To your son. That's right.
1: Bring him out. I want to talk to him. Slides on the brass knuckles. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the dad comes out and shuts the door, just goes, goes to town on the dad. Mm-hmm. Not enough. Okay. So we got the brass knuckles. We've got the dad now bloodied and barely conscious laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. We have the kid in a headlock being forced to watch this. <laughs> right. We then have Ray. Get a few more shots in. Uh-huh. I mean the dad is messed up. Right. And then tell the kid mm-hmm. that if he ever bullies anyone again, basically, mm-hmm. that he is going to screw mm-hmm. his father, some other stuff. Uh-huh. And all I remember hearing is mother's headless corpse or something.
0: Right. No, he's going to he says he's going to screw the father with the mother's Headless corpse on the lawn or something like that, right? Like out in public, and then he calls him ass pen and says, F you, right? <laughs> so, Ray, Ray
1: needs to work on his dismounts. Right. He's he's up on that uh pommel horse just knocking out of the park with the profanity, right? But then he's always stumbling on the uh, on the but I uh, so I guess I would say as we're going through the series of that Mm -hmm. of that scene and let's talk about the whole is it too gratuitous Mm -hmm. not gratuitous
0: enough or is it just right i would say it's too gratuitous it struck me as too gratuitous now a lot of the people on reddit love that scene really yes see
1: i say too gratuitous for for the same reason that I don't feel comfortable repeating the line. Like, right. it. I don't want my voice to have that echoing out in the universe. Yeah. You know what I mean? For my son to later find right. it uh, and be like, wow, I heard my dad say <laughs> this. I can't believe I've actually heard him say those words together. Yeah. I feel like that's a sign of, you know, somebody kind of maybe overriding it a little bit, especially when you have the visuals where you're like, Brass knuckles, right. kid's face in there, and then Aspen. Right. We're we're now we're going to pun uh, insults like it's it's basically trying to hit every single level, and it's like Pizzolao working backwards. He already went too far. Now he's like, I need to now get the stuff that should mm. built up to that. Mm-hmm. He just started with the. Uh,
0: yeah, it feels gratuitous to me, just because, and this could just be. Uh, Fact that it's the first episode, but it just doesn't feel. I mean, maybe like you said, it doesn't have. There's not like a natural buildup to it. It just is like you're seeing. um He just is exploding, and it doesn't right. feel like there's any was any in indication of that at all. Context, you know I mean? right? Yeah, it doesn't feel like. It just doesn't. I don't know.
1: And and it's like to me, I'm like, what kind of coverage does he have? Right. That he's like. Shows his face there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the wife comes out. He's, like, peeling out down, the, down right. this residential street. And I'm like, okay, again, is this somebody who's, like, getting caught up in this character needs to be displayed this way? Who cares about the reality? Or is this something that he's going to be held accountable for? Mm-hmm. Because, again, earlier when he's going to this custody lawyer to try and get custody of his kid or more visitation rights and things... She's like, "What will I find in your past?" He's like, "I look, I welcome judgment," Mm -hmm. which is again like another one of those on the button. Like,
0: look how clever I'm. And I thought that was a great line, but at the same time, it's like it also makes absolutely no sense when it's Colin Farrell saying it, right?
1: uh, Yeah, and then you see, and you're like, "Wow, this is a guy who's like." Openly alcoholic, right?
0: It's like you're literally the last person who should be welcoming judgment.
1: I, I don't think I'm trying to think about the equivalent of him of somebody who could say that, and there's nobody. I think anybody who did that would be like, you know what? Give me my money back. What do you? You're actually
0: going to look into me even a little bit? Forget it. You know, I was just trying to intimidate you. All right, I didn't (laughs) and was not being serious.
1: It was either the cash or that line. Neither of them apparently worked. Give me my money back. Yeah. So yeah, no, I th- I think that that's that's it's it's again to me it feels like overwritten. Yeah, it's too gratuitous for a few reasons, and one of them is the most important. Let me say is not my own reaction to mm-hmm. it. It's the fact that in the context of the character and the show, that scene was pushing way too hard to right. make points that were like I get when he's yelling at his. That, that mm-hmm. scene held nothing to him yelling at his kid. Mm-hmm. Like, that was enough to make me be like, whoa, this mm-hmm. guy's out of control.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about Vince Vaughn. He plays Frank. He's kind of like a maybe like an, uh, like an unofficial mobster. I guess we're not really sure what his role is within the city. We just know that he's some sort of criminal with a lot of money. And from what I could gather on Reddit, he's a part of some kind of uh, rail system that he's trying to get in on that also involves the city manager who ends up... Casper. Casper, right, who is dead at the end of the episode. Who's a ghost now. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. (laughs) Um, That's
1: all I thought about.
0: (laughs) But he has, well, we'll talk about that a little bit. So what did you think about Vince Vaughn? What did you think about, I mean, the biggest question has been, is he going to be able to play this serious role because he's known largely as a comedic actor? So my
1: wife didn't like him. Really? And we've talked about Clay Pigeons before. Right. I I, I like Clay Pigeons and I like his performance in it. And my wife said something that I, that I actually agree with. She was like, he needs to be more Vince Vaughn, right? You know, and I, I agree. I feel like, and yeah, I think you, you said the same thing. I wrote it down on the shares. notes. Yeah,
0: he needs to be more charming. Yeah, he doesn't need to be flat out funny or whatever. But his character, not only that, his not just because that's his strongest acting card. I feel like. But because his character would be so much more menacing and seem so much more powerful if he had at least somewhat of a confidence to him, and maybe that's the character. But to me, he seems very of—he uh, uh, just doesn't seem very confident. Yeah, he it, seems a bit like a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, it's—I—I I think I think there's interesting choices in his portrayal. Like how he keeps asking Ray about his family, mm-hmm. and asking in a very kind of straightforward way, where you're like, does this guy care? Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know if he's like threatening me or if mm-hmm. he's like if he's genuinely like asking. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is interesting. I'm interested to see how he plays out. Like, is Vince Vaughn playing him as a conflicted man? It seems like he is. Right, this is a guy who wants to go straight. He wants to make a legacy. Right in this light rail that he's like, you know, I want to be part of a dynasty where you don't even know how this family got their money. You know? Well,
0: I think that's, I think part of it is just that it's the first episode. So we don't really know, but I just don't think his performance is very good. So it's kind of like, I'm not really sure what he's going for. I'm,
1: I'm giving him a little more rope Mm -hmm. on, on that. And I, I'm fine with what he's doing so far, but I'm interested to see When this character, because I'm anticipating this character Mm -hmm. goes dark at at some point. The other thing that I thought was interesting, and this will maybe lead us into Taylor Kitsch, uh, Kitsch's character. Um, There's an article on The Daily Beast by Marlo Stern, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. And he brought this point that I thought was interesting where he said, he was kind of talking about the impotence and the infertility of all the men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Literally every every male, mm-hmm. not just our main characters, but the side characters are also dealing with some aspects of impotence or mm-hmm. perceived impotence or whatever. And um, Vince Vaughn, you know, like they're trying to do in vitro fertilization. So again, you have this guy who is like struggling with that. And he does kinda of, like what what's his opening line, like after the the beginning where he's like, Look, the I the one who used to be a man or something like that. Behold, mm-hmm. right? He's talking to his wife mm-hmm. or whatever. And so it's this guy who has this conflicted masculinity, mm-hmm. right? He's conflicted with his own his own image and, and idea of himself as a man, mm-hmm. it seems like. So <clears throat> I think that is definitely that's not subtext with yeah. a lot of it's text, but uh
0: but that's that's interesting i don't know i'm interested yeah it's somewhat interesting um like i said i just don't know if it's if it's there or not uh one of uh the one of my other favorite lines from the episode was vince vaughn's line where he says oh i I can't remember now he says never do anything out of hunger (laughs) Not even eating. It's <laughs> just, just <laughs> like it's partly like just a really stupid, poorly written line. But it's also his delivery is so bad. Well, just, yeah, like, yeah, that oh, that boy. that
1: one stood out. We were like, I think, I think a few more passes on that line. Yeah, you could make it sound. You're not going to make that
0: ring. Right. But uh. But yeah. It's, it's too a and clunky. But that was the line that made me turn the corner on the plagiarism concerns. I was not that worried about it during and after the first season. Um, that line has me rethinking all of it. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. To, to,
1: to me, it's it's the definition of when people say, like, too clever by half. Like, you're right. Like, you know, you, you think cleverness is a great thing. And then you hear a line like that and you're like, that's somebody who's overthinking the imagery.
0: Yeah. A little bit. And it's also like, all right, this guy's not as, as, uh, maybe philosophical as he sounded in the first episode when he was plagiarizing all those philosophers. (laughs) All right. Rachel McAdams plays a female cop who has quite possibly the worst name in all of fiction. Uh, and i don't even know how to pronounce her last name really but her name is antigone bezrides 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 mm-hmm. no idea it just is like and her f- sister's name is athena right so it's very obvious allusion to greek, greek mythology, mythology and yeah and how that's going to play out we don't know yet but it just is like um, so, what did you think of Rachel McAdams? Um, she plays the—I mean, I guess at first you th- you're thinking she plays the uh, the good cop or the like competent cop, but that turns out to not really be that true.
1: <laughs> yeah, she she does the best with a tough tough part, right? I think her introduction is basically her boyfriend or boy toy or whatever mm-hmm. won't or can't perform mm-hmm. when she wants, I guess we're assuming it's anal sex. Right? right. And again, this idea of male impotence where he's like, you know, trying to explain like, Oh no, I can, I can do it. I just mm-hmm. wasn't ready. You, <laughs> caught me off guard and then tries to transition that into a maybe we should be more serious with each other or whatever Uh and do you like that and whatever he's kind of weirded out i guess maybe a little bit and she just has to you know play like the get out of my house she's playing a man
0: right she is a man that has been arbitrarily turned into a woman because nick pizzolato wants to prove his critics wrong Look, I feel like she could just as believably be played by Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Yes. Rob Gronkowski's is ter- a terrible actor. But I mean, in terms of like, if you saw him in that role, it would be just as believable.
1: No. Yes. No, you're, you're, now you're, now you're in the subreddit crazy territory <laughs> for, for True Detective. Where you're, you're losing...
0: The, uh, the,
1: the reality but for the generalization. But she is not written
0: like a woman at all. She is, is she written not? as a man, but she's been made a woman because people said that he couldn't write women.
1: I mean, you can't say that, though. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You, and and you can't say that about the plagiarism, which is why I'm whatever about it at this point. And you can't say that she was written as a man as much as you suspect it. I, does she act like a like a woman? Yeah, because it's her and she's acting, and I'm watching. I'm okay. That's one way to portray it. But I will say that it lacks the nuance of Calamity Jane from mm-hmm. Deadwood. Which, if you're interested in my thoughts on that, you can go listen to our other podcast. Everything is interesting because mm-hmm. right after True Detective, I watched the pilot episode of Deadwood again. I watched that whole series. Love it and. Calamity Jane, to me, is one of the best written characters, period, male or female. But if you're talking about it in a feminist kind of viewpoint, um, I think she's one of the most fully realized, strong, quote-unquote, characters. And Rachel McAdams is believable, which I think is the most she can do with that, with that... uh, character yeah she's believable
0: i wouldn't go that far
1: believable ish
0: all right the other thing that really bothered me about her character is every person she interacts with is literally just giving exposition as to her as to her character
1: the father scene
0: i thought was pretty kind of rough. yeah the father in particular but also the sister the conversation with the the sister sister, ends and she's like you're just accusing me of doing everything you want to do or something like that. And it's just as like, uh, yeah, <laughs> we get it, buddy. Like you've like it, like I said before, you've got seven episodes left. Like give us some time. You don't need to throw all of this into the first person she talks to. It just felt like it couldn't be anymore. And the father does the same thing. He's like, I can't remember now, but the father does the exact same thing where he's literally just telling her, what her motivations are, why she acts a certain way. It just as like, yeah. When, when you okay. start talking
1: about like the mother, he's like, you know, I didn't abandon you. And, and that stuff is so stuff.
0: terrible too.
1: Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a little, a little much. And I think after the cam, you know, sister run in mm-hmm. where then, you know, this, uh this missing woman who's not missing. She's with, uh, Taylor Kitsch, right? That's the,
0: that's the, no, it's not the That's the, same the sister. Moment. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. They, I mean, there was a lot of talk about that on Reddit. Uh, and I think the conclusion they came to was that the it's credited as two different actresses. Because when I, I watched the episode twice, mm-hmm. when I watched it the second time, I noticed that too. And I thought that looks exactly like her. Exactly. Her like Taylor yeah, Kitsch's yeah. girlfriend or whatever she is. And but on the on the Reddit, people were saying no, and that they're two different actresses.
1: Okay, well, so. um, I I up until five seconds ago thought that was the the woman that they were looking for, um, but the the coincidence of her running her sister, and then the girl who's gone, who were got into the cult right. that her father had. I just I was just like, man. It, Is this going to hopefully that's it for the coincidences of Rachel McAdams and her family? Where we're not going to get them involved. I'm not interested in them as characters.
0: Well, it's it's also not just Rachel McAdams, it's also Taylor Kitsch who ends up, who ends the episode going on, like, I guess, like a suicide motorcycle ride, but then bails out at the last second in the exact spot that this dead city manager has been dropped <laughs> it just is like it's too it's too much the to talk is about too his
1: bailout too
0: yeah the bailout is ridiculous so taylor kitsch plays paul he is basically the good cop he's like out of the four main characters i feel like we get the least about him in this episode he's just kind of there you're not really sure about anything um
1: scars on his
0: body he's got scars on his body Predate the war right and that he doesn't want to talk about doesn't want to spend the night with his girlfriend he's has uh sexual problems like has a death wish right like the rest of the guys here's my prediction for paul he's gay right explains the sexual problems with his girlfriend I think it explains the uncomfortableness with the proposition, which is uncomfortable to begin with. But I think, and if I'm going down the tinfoil hat conspiracy idea that Pizzolatto is trying to silence all of his critics, what better way than to do it by writing a gay character, right? Because then he can be like, I wrote a strong woman, and I wrote a gay guy.
1: They're both strong. Yeah. Um, I I think that's too obvious. My
0: uh, prediction. You don't think Nick Pizzolatto is above too obvious? Or I below think below too obvious. I, guess? I think
1: for for him to write a script like that and give it to one other person, I don't see them being not being like. Nick, let's uh, <laughs> scale it down just a li- It's just a little too obvious, yeah. right? Um, so I think he's smart enough to. I'm I'm anticipating. Here's my tin foil hat theory about him: is he was involved in some horrible, you know, kind of true detective season one esque abuse? Oh, okay. At the hands of some, you know, yellow mm. king ish. Mm -hmm. maniac and that has now later in life impacted him sexually Mm -hmm. and he's he's wrestling you know that's one of the many demons that he's fighting but um but that's my theory for
0: his character that's not bad i like that thank you so let's talk about his uh i mean what you want to call it like a. F- His air bud moment. Right.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, uh, so, you know, you have this stylistic decision when he's going 100 mm-hmm. on this motorcycle and Taylor Kitsch is in a wind tunnel. You know, it's
0: dark. What did you. I thought the way that looked.
1: No, I did. Yeah. I did. I, I, I was going to say, I was setting up that way to say, like, I was like, oh no, is this going to get like. <laughs> like how fast is like a naked sh- gun thing? Right. 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 Is he going to start making a noise? Like, r- slobbers r- is going, slobbers everywhere. going everywhere. Like, how, how are, how far are we going down this and how are we going to execute it? How it was executed? I thought was, I realized like, that's why I'm not an actor. Right. Cause somebody would be like, okay, we're going to put you in a wind tunnel. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I would be slobbering and stuff. It'd be terrible. But, uh, But he does it, he does it well. Yeah. And so I thought, I was like, oh man, wow, this is good. And he gets so hungry, cuts his lights off. I'm like, this is crazy, right? Mm -hmm. He turns lights back on and he's immediately like, like he immediately (laughs) does like the shaky handle, right? Uh Like it's immediately like he goes, he gets startled. And he just
0: kind of slowly pulls over and he slowly (laughs) pulls over. He's merging into traffic or
1: something. And he kind of like comes to this nice little like <laughs> skidding stop of like uh-huh. f- literally like three feet. Yeah. And they do like two quick cuts in between two, but you can see that the guy was literally like five feet away and they're like action. He like <laughs> got it up to 10 <laughs> and then kind of like just on the hand brakes and yeah. like skidded. Yeah. I mean, I'm expecting him to have to lay down his bike. Like, dude, you got to lay down your bike at that uh, yeah. going a hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You're not stopping within like I don't know how many yards, but it's not happening within 15 feet. Yeah. You know, you are going half the length of a football field mm-hmm. like to, to get that under control. You don't get startled and be startled by something 50 yards away from you. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, and then slowly <laughs> stop in 50 yards. Yeah. To me, the editing felt like air, like air bud. Mm-hmm. The, the movie with a dog that can play (laughs) basketball. Uh And they do an editing trick where they show a dog and somebody throws a ball and the dog jumps up and hits it with with his snout. And they cut to a scene of the basketball hoop Uh and the ball just goes like, swish, (laughs) like right in. And Air Bud, by the way, is at (laughs) mid-court, you know, and you're like, yeah, the physics of that work. (laughs) You try and tell us it didn't. You know, and in this, it's like you're just showing one action and you're cutting to the end result and it just doesn't match at all. Yeah,
0: it was it was a laugh out loud. Hilarious for well, me. it's even more confusing considering it's uh, Justin Lin, right? The guy who did the Fast and Furious movies. It's like this guy knows how to do this. Right. You don't just have a guy skid to a stop going 10 miles. i like, we got it. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Um, what did you think of? the direction of the episode what did you think of justin lynn's directing job
1: you know i feel like again like how much here's another unanswerable question how much of Kerry fukunaga is in yeah. season one i'm feeling like it's a lot yeah and Kerry fukunaga was clearly bringing vision to season one mm-hmm. and that's something that I don't think you you can respect enough, mm-hmm. especially when you get outside of that show or when you get to the season two of the show and you see somebody who's like, I got the first two episodes. Don't worry, I got this, right? What visual, you know, kind of style and ideas is Justin Lin bringing? Where clearly Carrie Fukunaga is like, I want to try a long take, mm-hmm. steady cam shot. Let's see what we can do, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And... I don't think there's going to be enough time for ideas like that to develop, you know? Yeah. Because that didn't come episode 1, Kerry Fukunaga built to that and it was awesome, you know? Or like the out of sequence editing of when they're retelling um the shootout scene from season 1, right? Stylistically it was great. It yeah. was awesome. And this it's it looks polished, it looks nice, but is there visual flair and ideas being thrown around? Not really. Yeah. I like the wind tunnel thing. That worked out. And then it's immediately undercut by an Airbud editing right. moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it 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 was serviceable. And I think we're going to talk about too, where at the end the smoldering stares at the very end over that song that you hate. Yeah. Where you're just like, okay, there's not like I mean you could do any you can do anything. You could right. put these guys against a black backdrop in the middle of a restaurant back, like, why? Cause they're all dark and depressed, right. you know, do something stylistic, but, but it's just not, it's not done.
0: Yeah. I thought it looked great. Like I really like the cinematography of it and the look of it, but nothing really st- stood out to me in terms of direction. Um, before we, Oh yeah. Let, so let's talk about that final shot. Um, so Paul, uh, you know, pulls over gently finds the <laughs> city manager dead mm-hmm. and that brings the three cops together and the show and the episode ends on a what i thought was a really bizarre michael bay bad boys-esque shot of the three characters like standing around and the cameras like kind of below them panning panning, and right everything. and that really reminded me of like the bad boys or like my just michael bay's um Style. circular pans in general right and i just thought that was really a weird choice speaking of justin Lin's directing um but yeah it just was like And and, but that's when the story begins. Right. Like that's right. That if that were not to keep comparing to season one, that would have been the opening scene of season one, more or less. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's kind of. What I was most disappointed with, with the first episode, It's just that so the whole thing feels so disjointed because you're jumping around between these four characters, you have no idea who they are, you don't have anything that connects any of them, really. Whereas if you start with this murder and kind of start to work backwards from that while still moving the storeward forward, you know what I mean? You've got this sort of central thing that everyone's tied to.
1: Yeah, I guess if we're talking about general impressions at the end of the episode, to me it felt like Grand Theft Auto. Like it felt like a Grand Theft Auto game Mm -hmm. where these are characters who are operating at that heightened level. This whole city is like a... Grand Theft Auto City, you know, Vice and all that stuff. And I just, I that was the feeling that I got, which, again, I like pulp, you know? Mm-hmm. I like genre art. Mm-hmm. So there are pleasures to be taken in that. But is it going to be revelatory, right, in a way that's exciting Yeah. beyond just the week-to-week, like... You know, this character threatened to rape someone else in mm-hmm. front of. You know, <laughs> this time was in front <laughs> oh, of a
0: seven-year-old. <laughs> this time was in a kindergarten class. <laughs> <His> kindergarten <laughs>
1: class. Uh, you know, like that. There, there, there will be you know moments like that where you are like, Ugh. but uh, but other than that, I mean, I don't know. It's I don't think it's going to be. I think that's what people got excited about with True Detective season one. Yeah, is that. That promised at least, like, look, you've seen this before, but hey, we could do Cthulhu if we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the possibilities are endless. This feels like, hey, you like Grand Theft Auto? Well, this is basically an adaptation of mm-hmm. Grand Theft
0: Auto. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, before we close, I had one thing I wanted to ask you about. The city managers. Is it his office that they go and visit? I'm trying to remember when. They visit either the city manager's office or his apartment or house or whatever, and there is just weirdo symbolism throughout the entire thing. You know, there's a skeleton with a crown and all this stuff. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, now I'm remembering.
0: I felt like that could also possibly be like a... Not a nod, but just kind of like in maybe like an fu to all the people that were getting <laughs> trying to get all this mystical stuff from the first season. Just put Perhaps it all in,
1: actually, in here and be like, go for it if you yeah, want.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just be like, look at all this. What do you yeah. guys think of all this? Right. But there were two things I noticed in this episode. One of them is in the city manager's office, and that was um, when they first walk in. There is a bowl of like milk or some sort of yeah, white with liquid a na- with a naked-, naked woman floating in. Yeah. It. But it's like miniature size, right, right? like she what was that,
1: yeah, right. yeah, at least was like, well, yeah, what was it it felt David Lynchian. right, like it definitely felt like, are we in a dreamscape right. now, but um, no, I mean, to me, I felt like uh that place and that guy clearly had an artistic sensibility, and that to me fit with like
0: with the other stuff they saw there I was mm-hmm. like I
1: guess you'd have a bowl of m- white milk <laughs> with a naked woman floating in it I-
0: right and then in the car that his corpse is being driven around in there's a falcon's head mm-hmm. in one of the seats so I was like what is that
1: yeah that's that's something that the killer wore to oh to whatever okay. yeah conceal his identity or do some kind of um, ritual with. I'm here is in wrapping. Here's my crackpot theory for the season. Okay, crackpot theory for the season is all of these characters, good and bad, are going to confront a force outside themselves mm-hmm. that is coming and and going to lay some some sort of judgment against them. Right. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you have this guy. Clearly, Casper worked with or for Vince Vaughn because he mm-hmm. was supposed to be at the presentation. Right. And Vince Vaughn was like, where's Casper? And it's actually affecting the uh, him getting people to donate what they need right. to. Well,
0: he ends up giving the presentation instead he of He ends Casper, up giving,
1: it, right. and then there's that that rushing guy or whatever they're trying to get to invest, and he mm-hmm. won't. And the guy ends with like, hey, calm down, and he makes a reference to Casper. He's like... Mm-hmm. Where's Casper? And you can see that, which this is the other thing that I want to say really quick. Why do people, you know, and Vince Vaughn, he waits for the guy to shut the door and then he throws the glass. I'm like, that guy can still hear you. Yeah. You know <laughs> I mean, like if you're trying to withhold your displeasure or whatever, yeah. why do people, you need to let them get down the hall a little <laughs> right. bit. As soon as they close the door, it's not like they can't hear you in there. <laughs> he breaks a bunch of crap. Right. Um, but he he can't get that guy to invest because mm-hmm. the guy's looking for Casper. Right. So clearly Vince Vaughn, who's the only other big bad that we know of, mm-hmm. didn't kill Casper um, or doesn't have a reason why I'm dead. Rachel McAdams and Taylor Kitsch seem to be good cops who wouldn't be involved in something like that. So that means there's this Falcon's head, this guy mm-hmm. or lady, um, out there who killed Casper and is now posing Casper to be found and he's trying to instigate this, this action. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that person is going to prove to be a foil for all of our characters. And I don't think he's on the side of any of those, those characters. Mm-hmm. He's like the force unleashed and unleashed in no country. You know, he's like mm-hmm. Anton sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's gonna end up affecting all those people. Be a force outside of them.
0: Okay. Well we'll see. Okay. Uh thanks for listening. Uh if you want to leave us a constructive review on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to this podcast on, please do. Um,
1: or if you want to be ass penned. You can leave us a bad (laughs) review, too. We'll take it,
0: right? I don't care what the review is, to be honest, as long as there's constructive or there's suggestions or something or it's not just like, these guys are idiots. You know what I mean? Which, you know, maybe we are. Uh, In which case, that would be an accurate review. (laughs) Right. Um, But, yeah, leave us a review or um, you can email me or you can leave a comment on the episode. All that can be found... At eipodcast.com, um, or in the show notes, if you're using an, a, a podcast app to listen to this that is not the default iOS podcast app, all that stuff should show up in your show notes. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't show up there for whatever reason, but it just doesn't. Or you can go to the website, either way, um, we would appreciate some feedback. Uh, that's it for the show. Like I said, at the beginning, we will be recording these on Monday night, and they will be released Monday night, Tuesday, slash Tuesday morning. So it's currently twelve.
1: It's Tuesday morning.
0: Tuesday morning. It Look is. for it. <laughs> um So yeah, we'll see you next week.